0: Uh, If you need a Bible, did the ushers pass them out? Yeah? Uh, Here we are. We're in this study on the life of Joseph. And this life of Joseph is a fascinating life. God is showing himself sovereign, uh, really just showing off. Like, Joseph's life is a picture of Jesus, a prophetic foreshadow of Jesus that we've been looking at. And we're seeing how God is sovereign over all the affairs of, of, of Joseph's life. Uh, And he is using him to be a picture of the life and ministry of Jesus. Been a fascinating study. We've titled it, uh, Joseph, When God Builds a Man. And this is part six of that study. And today we're going to be looking at how God has built Joseph. And uh, now we're going to see as this story goes on, it is uh, just an amazing account of history of what has happened. It would be an epic movie. I'd love to see it. Uh, we're going to see today that God has built Joseph, and now uh, his brothers have wronged him, uh, really abused him. And we're going to learn some great tools for reconciliation. And so, if you have some relationships in your life that need reconciliation, there's going to be a lot to glean from today's study. So, let's open our Bibles and let's uh, pick up where we left off last week uh, Genesis chapter 41. We're going to pick it up in verse 46. Uh, Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Uh, Joseph was sold by his brothers into slavery. Uh, They attempted to kill him first, then they changed their mind. They sold him as a slave. At 17 years of age, Joseph was taken as a slave into a foreign country, happened to be Egypt. There in Egypt, he was purchased by a, a wealthy individual named Potiphar, Uh, Potiphar's wife later accused him of trying to have relations with her. She was trying to seduce him, and he said, "How can I do this and sin against my God? And how can I sin against your husband? He's put me as the CEO of your entire uh, his entire company. Uh, He's elevated me. Uh, uh, Joseph was successful there." Uh, And she, he told her, "No." Uh, She then accused him of trying to falsely accused him of trying to rape her. And he was thrown in prison. In prison, uh, he interpreted the dreams of some of the prisoners there who happened to serve on the Pharaoh's court. And he told one of the uh, people in Pharaoh's court that you are going to be restored to your position in Pharaoh's court in three days. Uh, And he told the other one, uh, the other one told him his dream. And he said, well, I have bad news for you. Uh, Pharaoh's going to call for you, and he's going to chop off your head and feed you to the birds. And uh, both happened. And uh, now time goes by, and Pharaoh himself has a dream. And in this dream, Pharaoh, uh, God gives him this dream, and, and and nobody can interpret it. None of the none of the soothsayers, none of the spiritualists in in Pharaoh's court. None of his advisors could interpret the dream. And the uh, butler, the the cupbearer, who had the dream interpreted and was restored to his position, goes, hey, I know a guy in prison who interpreted dreams. Why don't you get him? And so Joseph is called out of prison. He's brought there to the pharaoh, and he tells the pharaoh the interpretation of the dreams. He says, pharaoh, here's your dream. Uh, There's going to be seven years of plenty uh, the crops are going to grow like crazy. The flocks and the herds and the, the livestock are going to increase like crazy. The stock market's going to rally, in other words. Everything is going to be a boom. And, and uh, you're going to have seven years of an amazing plenty. And then after that, you're going to have seven years of incredible famine. Famine that is just going to famish the entire land, not only Egypt, but all the earth. A worldwide famine. And uh, Pharaoh, uh, Pharaoh goes, oh my gosh, that's exactly what my dream was. And he's impressed. And he puts Joseph in as the right hand of Pharaoh, ruling and reigning over all of Egypt. And that's where we pick up our story. Verse 46, Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh as the king of Egypt, taken from prison as a prisoner to the right hand of power overnight. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh And he went through all the land of Egypt as the ruler uh, he goes through. Now, in the seven plentiful years, the ground brought forth abundantly. It was just a prosperous time. So he gathered up all the food of the seven years, which were in the land of of Egypt, and he laid up the food in cities. He laid up in every city the food of the fields, fields which surrounded them. Very wise... Uh, He didn't store it all in one area. No, every city was responsible for taking the abundance of the harvest and for storing it up. So they built storehouses in every city and stored it all up for this coming uh, famine that would come in in seven years after the, uh, the, the years of plenty. Verse 49, so Joseph gathered very much grain, as the sand of the sea, until he stopped counting, for it was immeasurable. Uh, just amazing harvest, amazing provision. Verse 50. And to Joseph were born two sons before the years of the famine came. Asenath, the daughter of Potiphira, the priest of On, bore to him. So Joseph takes a Gentile bride, interestingly enough. Uh, by the way, we looked at this last week. Takes a Gentile bride... Jesus did the same thing, didn't he? He was arrested, accused, killed, and he went from there to being raised up to the right hand of power, and he takes what? A Gentile bride. How many of you are Gentiles? How many of you are believers? How many of you are the bride of Christ? That's all of us, right? Uh, We're the, the bride of Christ. And look at this. He takes a Gentile bride, verse 51, and he has children with her. Strange twist to a Jewish story, by the way, for a Jewish man, a guy who's in the covenant of Abraham to take a Gentile bride, very strange. Verse 51, and he called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, and Manasseh means God has made me forget all the toil in my father's house. So interesting. God takes a Gentile bride, has children, and the name of that child is all your sins are forgiven. Wow. Pretty amazing. And the name of the second is Ephraim. For God has called me to be, caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. This is a picture of the church. All our sins forgiven. And we are fruitful for the kingdom in a land of hostility. Shining brightly and bearing fruit in our lives to the glory of God in the land of the affliction. Uh, Verse 53, then the seven years of plenty which were in the land of Egypt ended. Uh, Very symbolic by the way. Right now you and I are in these seven years of plenty. It's called the church age. The age of grace. And from the time of uh, Jesus died on the cross until now God's grace has gone out to the Gentile bride and these are the years of harvest if you will. This is the seven years of plenty. Uh, uh, That's called the church age. Notice what's happening here. He says then the seven years of plenty which were in the land of Egypt were ended. Very symbolic. And the seven years of famine began to come as Joseph had said. Uh, Seven years of famine? What is that symbolic of? Well, after the church age, after the age of harvest, there is coming a seven-year tribulation period. It will be a time of incredible hardship on planet Earth. There is more written about this seven-year period than any other period in human history in the Bible. By far more written about this period than any other period of human history. It is called the time of Israel's trouble. It is a incredible uh, time of uh, difficulty on planet earth and it's coming after this church age. Uh, uh, Verse 54, the seven years of famine began to come as Joseph had said. The famine was in all lands but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. So when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread and Pharaoh said to all of the Egyptians, go to Joseph. He's the savior of the world. Whatever he says to you, do. And look at verse 56. You might want to underline this. The famine was over all the face of the earth. Very prophetic. Very symbolic. And Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians. And the famine became severe in the land of Egypt. So all uh, countries came to Joseph, countries from all over, came to Joseph in Egypt to buy grain because the famine was severe in all the lands. When Jacob, Jacob's name is what? Israel. When Israel saw that there was grain in Egypt, Jacob, Israel, said to his sons, why do you look at one another? Uh, I find that so funny. That's, that's humor right there. Uh, there's Reuben, there's Simeon, and they're going, I'm hungry. I'm hungry too. You got any food? No, I don't got any food. You got any food? No, I don't got any food. And uh, Israel says, Boys, why are you standing there looking at each other? Like, there's no food's going to come out of you that way, right? Look at verse 2. And he said, Indeed, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. How did he hear? Well, here's why. The famine is worldwide. And he has seen all kinds of merchants bringing all of their goods that they have To go and trade it for grain in Egypt. They're all going to Egypt. And uh, Israel has heard about this. And he says, I've heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down to that place and buy for us there. That we might live and not die. Shows you how severe the famine was. So Joseph's ten brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. Joseph's ten brothers? Wait a minute. How many tribes of Israel are there? Twelve. We know that Joseph is in Egypt. How many brothers does he have? Eleven. Uh, But here he says, take your ten brothers and go down to Egypt. And here's why. Jacob did not send Joseph's brother, Benjamin, with his brothers, for he said, lest some calamity befall him. Uh, Here we see this protective dad, and he doesn't want little Benjamin going. Why? Well, here's why. Rachel... Was the love of Israel's life. And she died in childbirth, giving birth to Benjamin. She produced two children, Joseph and Benjamin. And because she was the love of his life, uh, he didn't want Leah. That wasn't his deal, right? That was like, that was, uh, Rachel was the love of his life. And so he says, I've already lost Joseph. What does Israel think that happened to Joseph? Yeah, they thought he got killed. His own sons brought his his tunic to him and they dipped it in blood after they beat their brother and after they threw him in a pit and after they sold him as a slave they thought, well we got to tell dad something. They dipped the, his tunic in blood and they bring it back to their dad and say, dad, do you know whose tunic this is? And Israel goes, oh that's Joseph's tunic. A wild animal must have devoured him. And so all this time Israel thinks that Joseph is dead, but Joseph is very much alive, ruling over all the earth. Who is that a picture of? Oh my gosh. Uh, Is that not crazy? Uh, And so so he sends them down without Benjamin. Doesn't want anything to happen to Benjamin. Verse 5. And the sons of Israel went down to buy grain among those who journeyed. Uh, So there's a lot of people going to, all the merchants going to Egypt. For the famine was in the land of Canaan as well. And this is bizarre. These boys, these brothers, they're going down to Egypt to buy grain. And guess who they'll be buying grain from? Their own brother. Uh, They don't even know he's ruling and reigning on the throne. Sorry, mic difficulties here. Uh, So, wow, what a story. What a stage. Wouldn't this be a great movie? Uh, Just an epic, epic account of history here. Uh, Verse 6. Now Joseph was governor, or that word means ruler or king, over all the land. And it was he who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed down before him with their faces to the earth as the ruler of all people. Israel bowing down to Joseph. And Joseph saw his brothers and he recognized them. But he acted as a stranger to them and spoke roughly to them. And then he said to them, Where did you come from? He's speaking to them in Egyptian through an interpreter. Uh, they don't recognize him, but he recognizes them. Where did you come from? Uh, and they said, We've come from the land of Canaan to buy food. So Joseph recognized his brothers. But they did not recognize him, and then Joseph remembered the dreams which he had dreamed about them. Wow. Those dreams, do you remember? When did those dreams come? Back when he was just a teenager. And he remembers those dreams. They were of the 12 sheaves that bowed down to his sheaf, and the 11 stars and the sun and the moon that bowed down to him at all a picture of Israel that was Genesis 37 and he remembers those dreams of many years ago when he was just a boy and he goes oh my gosh god you have fulfilled these dreams literally here they are i want you to know that many of you god has given you a dream in your heart i know for me god did the same thing and it seems so crazy it was when I first got saved, I felt this sense, I felt this calling to be a pastor, and I just thought, how in the world could that ever be i mean i'm just a i mean I just got saved i didn't even i didn't I'm not making this up i didn't even know i didn't even know that there was a holy spirit I knew nothing uh, I didn't know there was k wave uh, uh I knew nothing right uh uh if you're wondering, okay, wait, that's a radio, a Christian radio station. Uh, uh, and yet I sense, I had this dream, if you will. Uh, and uh, it seemed impossible. And decades went by. And uh, I remember uh, it took a long time before I ever told anybody. And the first person I told was my wife. said, baby, I feel like God's got this calling. And she goes, yeah, I don't see it. I just don't see it. And, uh, and yet here I am. And it makes me think of this verse, like like you remember... And here's why, here's why I'm telling you that, because I know God has given each of you a calling on your life, and maybe you sensed it at one time. "Wow, oh, I'd really like to do this for the Lord." And then something happens, life goes on and it beats you down, and your brothers sell you into slavery, and you life life just and that dream can be diminished. I want you to know that dream is from the Lord. Embrace it, walk in it. That dream to be a husband, that dream to be a father, that dream to be a mother, that dream to be a missionary, that dream to teach the Bible, that dream to be an influence to these children's lives in this area, that dream to help people who are in this situation. Hey, hold on to that. Don't let that go. When life beat down Joseph he kept his eyes fixed and focused on the Lord. And he obeyed in the small things. And he kept walking in the truth of God's word even when it looked like God wasn't working. And here's what he sees. God has raised it up and all by God's doing this dream is now a reality. This dream has happened. God has brought it to pass. And I can tell you I've watched God do that in my life and in many lives over and over and over again. He is faithful. Uh, amazing God who does does these things. Joseph remembers this dream uh, and uh what verse do we leave off on? That was verse 6, was it? Nine. Verse 9, thank you. Uh, well, let's stop here just for a moment. Um, I, I got more I want to say about that. Uh, uh, it's interesting as we look at Joseph, right? Like, I mean, look at all these things. You know, he's sent by his dad to go give a message to his brothers. His brothers try to kill him. Uh, he's sold to the price of us. All these things... He's raised up to the right hand of Pharaoh, from prison to right hand of Pharaoh. He's the ruler over all the earth. His brother's back. All these things are a picture of God's sovereignty in his life. God has made Joseph, uh, made his life a prophecy about Jesus and Israel. How do you explain that? That is just unbelievably phenomenal. And do you see what's happening right now? Here he is, he's talking to his brothers, the tribes of Israel. And what don't they know? (laughs) They're blind to the fact that that's our brother ruling and reigning as the savior of the world on the right hand of of the throne. Amazing picture, right? They cannot recognize this savior king who's their own brother because of their blindness. And that is exactly what happened, the Bible tells us, that's exactly what happened to the Jews today, for not receiving their Messiah. Uh, They are spiritually blind, and the Bible makes this very clear. Take a look at this, Uh, this is written all through the Bible, this verse happens to be in Romans 11, verse 8, let me hear you read this, just as it is written, God has given them, that's Israel, a spirit of stupor, eyes that should not see and ears that should not hear to this very day. Oh my gosh, that's incredible. There is a spiritual blindness on the nation Israel. They read, a Jewish person reads Isaiah 53, and it is so crystal clear about Jesus, and they go, I can't see it. (laughs) And you think, how does that happen? Or you read Psalm 2, it's so crystal clear, a prophecy about Jesus, just crystal clear. Or I can pick hundreds of prophecies about Jesus that are so crystal clear. And yet, the nation Israel, the Jewish people, they can't, spe- they can't see it. Why? Uh, well, God has given them a spirit of stupor, eyes that should not see. Paul is quoting from the book of Isaiah, written 700 years before this ever happened. 700 years before Jesus came. Look what Isaiah says about it. Isaiah 29. Uh, let me hear you read this. "'Pause and wonder, blind yourselves, and be blind. "'They,' speaking of Israel, "'are drunk, but not with wine. "'They stagger, but not with intoxicating drink. "'For the Lord has poured out on you the spirit of deep sleep, "'and has closed your eyes, namely the prophets, "'and he has covered your heads, namely the seers.'" Interesting. Interesting. God has given them a spirit of blindness. They cannot see that Jesus is the Messiah. Even though he is their kinsman, even though he's the savior of the world, even though he's ruling at the right hand of the father, they cannot see it. And he says, I've given you this spiritual blindness mainly to the prophets and to the seers, or in other words, to the religious leaders. Interesting. Let's go on the rest of this verse. The whole vision has become to you like the words of a book that is sealed, like a book that you can't open, which men deliver to one who is literate and say, read this, please. And he says, I cannot, for it is sealed. So then the book is delivered to one who is illiterate, saying, please read this. And he says, I am not literate amazing amazing prophecies and they can't even see them because their eyes are blinded and they read the words and they say i just can't understand just don't understand i don't think that's what i don't i don't get it uh amazing um i want you to know something if you are here today and you believe that jesus christ is your lord and your savior I want you to know something, you did not do that on your own. And unless God had opened your eyes, there is no way in the world, no way in all of eternity, you would ever understand these things. The reason? The Bible says, you were spiritually dead. And unless God gives you spiritual life, there is no way you can see spiritual things. And so for the very fact that you're able to see Jesus as your Messiah and as your Lord, that means that God has opened your eyes. Jesus would say it this way, You did not choose me. I chose you. You did not call me. I called you. You did not love me. I loved you. And after I called you and poured my love on you and brought you to myself and gave you spiritual life and opened your eyes so that you can see Then you began to start loving me back. But I was the initiator of all of you. I created you. I forgave you. I called you. I brought you to myself. That is God's work in your life. Are you not thankful? Are you not thankful? Oh, Jesus, thank you for your amazing grace upon your people. Undeserved, unmerited favor. Lord, I'm so thankful for all that he has done for us. Uh, Joseph's life is a prophecy of Jesus, and it is remarkable to consider. Uh, How does this happen? This story written centuries ago, and yet it foretells Jesus' life amazingly. You say, that's that's no coincidence, man. That is the sovereign hand of God working in the affairs of the world and in human lives. And I want you to know something. He is every bit as sovereign over your life as he is Joseph's. Be of good courage. God's hand is upon you. Uh, obey his ways. Walk in his path, Even when you don't understand what he is doing, he will bring it all to pass, just like he did the dreams and the visions that he gave for Joseph. And so it begs the question as we look at all this, does that mean that Israel will be blind forever? Is Israel permanently lost? Well, Paul addresses this question uh, in Romans uh, chapters 9, 10, and 11. And Paul says, hey, certainly not. God has not cast away his people, which he foreknew. Uh, and uh, 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 something powerful is going to happen. We are going to go through this, this ye- these prosperity years of harvest. These seven years of abounding crops. It's called the church age. And it's what you and I have been privileged to be born into. And after this church age... There is a coming seven-year period, that is the tribulation period on planet Earth. And during that tribulation period, you're going to notice, we're going to see next week, this story continues. uh, Israel is going to come into an understanding. Their blindness is going to be lifted during the tribulation period. It is during the, the seven years of famine that these tribes of Israel are coming to Israel, and in the beginning of the seven years of famine, they don't understand, they don't see, they're blind to who Joseph is. And they will actually worship, the Bible tells us, the Antichrist. The Jews will. But in the middle of that seven year tribulation, the Antichrist is going to set up an abomination of desolation, a, a, a giant statue of himself. And there will be incredible miracles. The statue will actually speak and move and say, the Antichrist is the Messiah. The Antichrist is God. Worship him. And all the world will, except who? Except the Jews. And the Jews know. They learned from Babylonian captivity, we're not supposed to worship idols. And when that happens, they refuse. And the Antichrist then turns out to persecute and to kill and to genocide every living Jew uh, the, the holocaust was only the preview of what's coming in the seven year tribulation period there were six million Jews killed in the holocaust six is the number of imperfection there will be more persecuted in the tribulation period but at that time Israel's eyes will be open to who? to Jesus and Zechariah I believe chapter 12 if my memory serves me well says they will look on him And see these piercings in his hands. And they will say. Where did you receive those wounds? And he will answer them. I received them in the house of my friends. And they will mourn for him. As one mourns for a only son. That was lost. They will grieve. And Zechariah tells us. God will pour out the spirit. The Holy Spirit upon them. And their eyes will be opened. And they will see. And they will be flooded with the Holy Spirit, and they will be like the Saul of Tarsus. Remember Saul of Tarsus, who was blind to who Jesus was? And what happened? Scales fell from his eyes, and he became the most mighty, powerful evangelist, church builder, preacher of Jesus Christ of any man. And the same thing will happen to 144,000 Saul of Tarsus and they will evangelize the whole world during the tribulation period what's fascinating is uh, man I'm going off on too much stuff Uh, uh, what's fascinating is is Jesus also foretold all this do you remember uh, Jesus gave parables by the way Uh, he gave a parable uh, you've probably read it and maybe this might shine some light on it you might go oh my gosh Uh, there was a parable in the book of Luke where Jesus said there is a owner of a uh, of a farm uh, and he had a fig tree. And that fig tree bore no fruit. And so the owner of the farm said chop that tree down. It's wasting space. And the farmer comes to the owner of the of the vineyard and says, "Don't chop it down. Let me nurture that tree. Let me Water it. Let me fertilize it. Let me tend it for three years. And after three years, if it does not bear fruit, then you can chop it down. That was a parable Jesus told. You think, what the heck is that? Well, let me ask you. How long was Jesus' ministry? Three years. And who did he minister to? To Israel. Jesus said, I haven't come except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He fertilized the fig tree. He watered the fig tree, but it still bore what? No fruit. You'll remember, Jesus rode in on Palm Sunday, and everyone was worshiping him. Hosanna, Hosanna. And Jesus was weeping, because he knew the same people that were worshiping him were going to say, crucify him, crucify him. And he rides out on that donkey, and as he's riding out, he looks over at the Temple Mount. This was on the Mount. He looks over at the Temple Mount, and he sees the money changers. It says... And he rides out on the donkey. He doesn't do anything about it. And he rides out of Jerusalem and he goes to Bethany, spends the night in Bethany. The next morning, he wakes up at Bethany and goes straight back towards the temple. On his way to the temple to overturn the tables of so the money changers, he sees guess what he sees? A fig tree. And there was no fruit on it. And he cursed the fig tree. What? The disciples go, Jesus, you're having a bad day? I've never seen you curse anything. And he cursed the fig tree. And what happened to the fig tree? It withered instantly. And that fig tree was a picture of Israel. He had watered it. He had fertilized it for three years. He had come to die for it. And they did not bear any fruit. And the spiritual blindness had happened to Israel. And Paul would tell us, he would say, brethren, I think I have this verse for you, uh, I do. Romans 11. Uh, On your screens. Uh, Read this with me. Uh, Now hang on. Before you read. uh, Romans. Written by the Apostle Paul. A letter to who? A letter to the church. Uh, So when he says brethren, he's not talking about Israel. This is a letter to the church. This is uh, Paul to the church in Rome. Uh, Read with me. For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery lest you should be wise in your own opinion that blindness in part has happened to israel until the fullness of the gentiles has come in and then all israel will be saved as it is written wow so incredibly powerful israel is going to be restored and he says, I don't want you to be arrogant, church, like you figured this out and the Jews couldn't. Like, what's wrong with them? No, 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 no. God opened your eyes and that's the only reason you see. And he says, now be careful. Don't still don't say, don't be high minded because uh, you were grafted in to the tree of Israel. Uh, you were grafted in to that fig tree, if you will. You are the wild branches grafted in, Romans tells us, into that tree. In other words, what are we studying right now? We are studying a Jewish Bible. And we are learning all about Jesus from this Jewish, Jewish Bible because we've been grafted into that tree. Uh, I had a Jewish woman come up to me after the first service. She goes, I am so thankful that I am the in part, right? Like blindness has happened in Israel, in part. Uh, uh, and, and many Jews do see. They're messianic, right? And they see. Uh, But notice what he says. Blindness has happened in part to the nation Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. And then all Israel will be saved. You say, what does that mean? Well, here's what happens. Uh, There is a time when God says, the time of the Gentiles, the seven years of harvest, is done. And the fullness of the Gentiles comes comes in. Uh, There's a number of Gentiles that are called by God to be saved. And when that final number comes in, God's going to say, I'm done with the church age. And the church will be raptured up, and the seven years of famine will start on planet Earth, the tribulation period. If you're here today, and you haven't made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, you might be the one holding all this back. (laughs) You might be the fullness of the Gentiles give your life to Jesus Christ Uh, uh, and that fullness of the Gentiles is going to come in and then the tribulation period is coming on planet earth and Christians listen to me I want your full attention Christians strap on your seatbelts of faith because we are approaching some very difficult times Uh the church will be raptured before the tribulation, but the, the apostasy and the falling away and the uh, sexual immorality and the, the evil and the wickedness that is coming, it, it will be building up. It, it won't just start on the tribulation period. And we are seeing right now these things happening. Buckle up your seatbelt of faith Get yourself rooted and grounded on the truths of God's word because the so called church is being sifted like wheat right now. Do you know what is happening? The Bible says, uh, Jesus said, uh, He will gather the wheat into His barn and He will separate the chaff to be burned. Uh, it, that's an agrarian phrase if you if you were a farmer you understood it you would grow your wheat but you can't just eat your wheat you put all the wheat in a big pile and they would take it up to a hillside and put it on the top of a hill and then they would get the, the pitchfork and they would throw it into the into the pile and they would throw the wheat into the air and when they threw it into the wheat into the air the chaff and the wheat kernel would separate the chaff would blow away And the wheat would fall down at the farmer's feet. And that's how they would harvest the wheat. And what is happening in the world right now is the wheat and the chaff are being separated. You see, there are churches that just say, Jesus loves everybody. And Jesus wants you to prosper and everything is well. And you don't ever repent of your sins. They never talk about sin. And and you think you're wheat, but you're a tear. And Jesus told the parable of the wheat and the tares. A tear is a weed that looks exactly like a wheat head. You cannot tell it apart. It grows side by side with wheat. It looks like wheat until harvest time. And it never bears fruit. It's a weed. And Jesus said, I'm going to separate the wheat from the tares. And uh, uh, that's why I say strap on your seatbelts of faith. Make sure you're rooted and grounded in the word of God... Troubled times are coming to planet Earth. The seven-year tribulation period is not far off. The pump is being primed. Apostasy has already began. And the wheat and the chaff of the church of Jesus Christ will be separated. Then the rapture of the church will happen. The seven-year tribulation period will come. And Israel's spiritual blindness will be healed. And they will see Jesus as their Messiah. And all of this... Jesus, God has done through the life of Joseph to illustrate all these things to us. is it not spectacular? Uh, Just spectacular. Which leads us now to add some things onto our list that we've been looking at as how Joseph is a prophetic foreshadow of King Jesus, right? Uh, Number one, he was sent by the Father to his brothers, the tribes of Israel, on a message of love. Happened to Joseph, happened to who? Happened to Jesus, sent by the Father to the tribes of Israel. They rejected his testimony uh, because of their jealousy. Uh, They rejected uh, uh, the the message of of their brother. Uh, uh, And uh, man, happened to Joseph, happened to Jesus. His tunic was taken by the captors. Happened to Joseph, happened to Jesus. He was beaten and left for dead. Happened to Joseph, happened to Jesus. He was sold to the Gentiles for a few pieces of silver. Happened to Joseph. Happened to Jesus. Jesus betrayed by Judas for 30 pieces of silver, just like Joseph Joseph was, sold as a slave. He was falsely accused and arrested. Happened to Joseph through Potiphar. uh, Happened to Jesus through the religious leaders. Uh, He preached to the spirits in prison. Uh, that, That might be obscure to some of you who weren't here in previous weeks. I encourage you to go back and listen to that talk. Uh, Jesus went and preached to the spirits in Hades after he died on the cross. Uh, Happened to Joseph, happened to Jesus. Uh, By the way, a quick version of that is we saw it on the cross, right? Jesus said to the one thief, today you'll be with me in paradise. And to the other thief, he went to hell forever. Uh, Happened to Joseph. Happened to Jesus. Go back and look at look at that tape if you need it. Uh, He's the Savior of the world. Joseph saving the world from famine. Jesus saving the world, the greater Savior, saving the world from sin and death and eternal separation. Uh, Joseph began his public ministry at 30 years of age. Jesus began his public ministry at 30 years of age. Uh, Joseph was an alleged criminal who was instantly raised to power and seated at the right hand. Jesus was an alleged criminal. Who instantly rose into power and was seated at the right hand of God. Uh, Joseph was given a name that means God speaks and saves lives. Jesus' name is Yehoshua. Uh, Jehovah saves. Uh, They both had a name of Savior. Every knee must bow. Every knee in in Egypt had to bow to Egypt. Every knee, period, will bow to Jesus. Uh, Joseph was a Jew. And yet he's espoused to a Gentile bride. Jesus is a Jew, and he's espoused to a Gentile bride. Uh, you, uh, the children of that Gentile bride, have interesting names. Uh, Manasseh, God has caused me to forget my sin. Uh, that's who you are as a child of God. Your sin has been forgotten. And Ephraim, God has called me to be fruitful. Uh, the here you are bearing fruit to the glory of God in this in this place that we live uh joseph is the lord of the present harvest age jesus is the lord of the present harvest age joseph is the lord of the coming seven year uh, famine jesus is the lord of the coming seven year tribulation and then this one uh israel is blind unable to recognize their savior king who is also their own brother uh just amazing amazing how do we describe all this How do we account for all this? Coincidence? I don't think so. God orchestrating every detail of our lives and of Joseph's life. He is sovereign over all things. This plan of salvation planned out, laid out before the foundation of the world. Uh, Remarkable, is it not? Uh, Let's go on in our story. I think we left off at verse 9, right? Uh Joseph's brothers don't recognize him. How is Joseph going to handle this? Uh, Then Joseph remembers the dreams which he dreamed about them and said to them, You are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. What's that? Uh, He's saying you're spies. You've come to see our weak areas. You've come to see where we're vulnerable. And you're going to bring an army in here and you're going to take all our grain. Uh, Verse 10. And they said to him, No, 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 my lord. But your servants, they call themselves their servants, fulfilling the dream, we have come to buy food. We are all one man's sons. We're all from one family. We value family. And we are honest men. Your servants are not spies. What must Joseph think when he hears them say, we are honest men. We value family. (laughs) We value family. We're honest men. Really? Really? But he said to them, No, you have come to see the nakedness of the land. I want you to see something here. This is really wise what Joseph does. You'll notice Joseph does not play all his cards quickly, he doesn't go, Oh, brothers, kumbaya. God is so good. Some Christians check their brains at the doors sometimes, and they move by emotion the moment they see God starting to move, and they get emotional, and they ruin what God is doing. Joseph walks with wisdom right here. He does not play all his cards quickly. Instead, he listens. Why does he want to listen? So he can learn what is going on in the lives of his brothers. So he can know how to walk with wisdom in this, in this situation that he is in. By waiting, Joseph will learn what's going on. Look what he says. No, you've come to see the nakedness of the land. And they said, your servants are 12 brothers. The sons of one man in the land of Canaan, in the land of Israel. In fact, the youngest is with our father today. And underline this, and one is no more. Who's the one who is no more? The one they're talking to. They don't recognize him. Why don't they recognize him? Because he's clothed in majesty. He's shaven. He's got an Egyptian cone beard. They haven't seen him since he was 17 years old. 22 years have passed. He went to power sitting at the right hand when he was 30. There were seven years of prosperity. He's now 37. Now they're one or two years into the famine. He's 39. He was 17 when they last saw him. It's been 22 years. And they look at him and they don't recognize him and they say one is still no more and I bet that touches Joseph's heart. They don't just say we're, we've got, uh, uh, we're, uh, there's 11 of us. He said there's 12 of us. The youngest one's not here. Joseph hasn't seen Benjamin since he was just a baby. And I bet it thrills his heart to know that Benjamin is still alive, his only fully biological brother. Uh, And they still call him their brother. They're still remembering him. That has to touch Joseph's heart. Verse 14, but Joseph said to them, it is as I spoke to you saying you are spies. What is Joseph doing here? Well, he keeps asking questions. Why does he keep asking questions? Because he wants to learn more. I love how God gives him this wisdom on the spot. And that's what walking with the Lord will do. When you obey God in the small things, when it comes to big things in your life, I want you to know God will lead, guide, and direct you. But if you don't walk with God in the small things in life, you will not have wisdom you need when those big things come. When that troubled teen comes to you and says, Dad, what do I do in this? And you go, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, no, no, no. That's those times when you need that wisdom, right? Uh, and, and God gives it to Joseph right here. Incredibly wise. Verse 15 uh, In this manner you shall be tested. By the life of Pharaoh, you shall not leave this place unless your youngest brother comes here. What's his goal? I want to get my whole family here together. And we see the heart. Joseph's heart is reconciliation here. Uh, We can see what he is doing. He's, He's pretty wise. Look what he says. Verse 16. Send one of you, and let him bring your brother, and the rest of you shall be kept here in prison, that your words may be tested to see whether there is any truth in you, or else by the life of Pharaoh, surely you are spies." He has appealed to a greater name two times. Who? What greater name does he appeal to? Pharaoh. Interesting. Take note of that. Uh, verse 17. So he put them all together in prison three days. This divine inspiration on the spot to Joseph, giving him wisdom on the spot to be slow to speak, to think, think this through, to take time to pray and to listen. Lord, what do I do? I got my brother. I know what to do. I'll put him in prison. I'm going to think on this for a few days. Verse 18. Then Joseph said to them, the third day, do this and live. And I want you to underline these words. Read it with me. For God. now he's not appealing to Pharaoh. Who's he appealing to? God. Ah, hint, hint, hint. He doesn't say, I fear Osiris, I fear Isis, I fear Ra. These are all the Egyptian gods. He says, I fear Elohim, the triune God of Genesis 1. Right? Big hint to his brothers right there. Uh, If you are honest men, let one of your brothers be confined to the prison house, but you go carry grain for the the famine back to your houses, back to your families, feed all your hungry uh, family, children, workers, all those kind of things. Feed your houses. And bring your youngest brother, that'd be Benjamin, to me so that your words will be verified and you shall not die. And they did so. Uh, what, was, what was his goal? Yeah, to bring all this family back together. There's still five years of famine. Joseph wants to make sure his family is taken care of, right? Verse 21. Then they said to one another, We are truly guilty concerning our brother." For we saw the anguish of his soul when he pleaded with us when they were beating him, throwing him in the pit, and we would not hear. Therefore this distress has come upon us. Man, they're just plagued with guilt, aren't they? Verse 22, and Reuben answered and said, didn't I speak to you saying do not sin against the boy? Didn't I tell you not to do this? And you wouldn't listen? Therefore behold, his blood is now required of us. They're saying, what's happening to us is actually because of this. It has been 20-something years. And look at this guilt they're carrying around. And look at verse 23, so profound. But they did not know that Joseph understood them, for he had spoke to them through an interpreter. He was speaking to them in Egyptian through an interpreter. And so they all speak to each other in Hebrew, and Joseph hears every word, and they don't think he understands anything. You ever have those uh, people do that to you, you know, like the, they start speaking Chinese right in front of you or, or whatever, and you're like, I'm right here, I'm right here. Uh, Joseph hears every word, right? Um, verse 24, and he, that's Joseph, turned himself away from them, and he wept. Why did he weep? What was going on in his heart? Uh, why did he weep? Well, he sees, he hears, and he goes, "Oh my gosh!" He just moved with emotion, and so he pulls himself out of the room where they can't see him. He doesn't want to reveal too much yet. He goes in a back room by by his own, and he, and he cries. And and, uh, and here, are these brothers, they're they're just like, well, "I told you we shouldn't done this." And and here, I want you to see something. I want us to take notice of some things. Uh, guilt is a heavy burden to carry. Notice the guilt that these these men are cut carrying. 20 years uh, plus since they sold Joseph and yet Joseph's brothers have wounds as if it happened yesterday can you imagine the guilt they're carrying every time something goes wrong 20 years of carrying this guilt around and every time something goes wrong they go oh God's punishing us for what happened this is karma man this is karma Uh, tough way to go through life sleepless nights depression how many dreams do you think they've had about this dealing with depression that comes from it, uh, going through uh, just a hindered walk with God, all because of the guilt that is upon them. I want you to know something. Guilt destroys lives. It is painful. Guilt destroys lives. And you know why uh, it does? Because it is haunting. It just knocks on our door over and over and over again. And so you know what happens? Uh, Do you know why the world... Likes to drink alcohol so much? Because they're trying to escape what? The guilt. And do you know why the world loves to run to entertainment so much? And why we run to sex and why we run to business and why we do all these things? We just try to occupy ourselves. Why we keep a screen in front of our eyes 24-7? Do you know why? Because we don't want to be alone with our guilt. And do you know why that guilt is there? Because we are guilty. We've done evil things and we know it. And so we busy ourselves and we try to run to this. We try to run to this. Let's go to the movies. Let's do something so I don't have to sit alone and actually think about my guilt. And the reason we have guilt is because we're guilty. Uh, The reason that we battle these things is because it's painful. And I want you to know something. Nothing will take away your guilt. Not alcohol, not pornography, not business, not making a lot of money, not travel, not adding on a new room to your house, not moving again, not a new project, not anything will take away your guilt. You can anesthetize your guilt, but you cannot remove your guilt. There is only one thing that will remove your guilt, and that is the blood of Jesus Christ. And I tell you something is, is amazing I know what happened for me the moment that I gave my life to Jesus Christ. I was born again. That guilt was lifted and I was set free. And it is the most powerful thing you can ever do. If you are here this morning and Jesus Christ is not your Lord and Savior, do not leave here without making him so. Come to him. The reason you feel that guilt The reason you feel like every time something goes wrong, oh God's mad at me, I'm not right with God. There's a reason you feel that, because you're not right with God, and because you're guilty of sin. Jesus clearly said the Holy Spirit will do three things in your life until you come to him. He will convict you of sin, of righteousness, and of the judgment to come. Of sin, you've been You've blown it, man. You've beaten your brother. You've treated your brother poorly. You've ignored God. Of righteousness, there is a path. There is a requirement. God requires perfect righteousness, and you don't measure up. Of judgment to come, there's a judgment day coming, and you're in trouble. And the Holy Spirit will convict you of those three things. If you're not a believer and you pray to God, you say, God, really help me with my business, I want you to know the Holy Spirit doesn't want to help you with your business. The Holy Spirit wants to bring you to the feet of Jesus Christ, so you can be cleansed by his blood, by his death on the cross. And new life will be given to you. It's amazing, and I want to invite you to it. If you'd like to pray with someone after the service, come forward. We'll pray with you, and uh, you can start a brand new life today uh, with with spiritual sight. Uh, This is the work of of Jesus in our lives, and it's magnificent. And Joseph here, uh, he listens to his brothers, and he weeps, He learns of their their pain that they've experienced. He learns of all the sorrow that they're going through. He learns of all the anguish of soul. He hears them blaming each other and fighting with each other over this horrible thing that they've done. He sees that there's no peace in his life. And do you know what Joseph realizes? Joseph says, oh, the irony. All this time, I thought they wronged me. All this time, I thought my life was the one that was damaged by it. And God has taken care of me every step of the way. They are the ones who have ruined their own lives. They are the ones that need freedom. And that leads us to something incredibly powerful. Notice what's happened here. Uh, Learning others' stories will fill our hearts with compassion. Learning other stories will fill our hearts with compassion. Joseph hears the stories of his brethren... And his heart is moved with compassion that he has to just go weep. Uh, So powerful. Uh, I want you to know, uh, uh, it's hard standing for truth at times. Uh, I have gotten the number one finger more this week than probably any other week of my life. (laughs) And you know what? I'm okay. I'm a-okay. okay I'm not battled down. I'm not beaten down. I'm not tired. I'm not anything. I'm here with full joy. And here's why because when you learn the stories of others, your heart is filled with compassion. I know they don't know what they're doing. I know that their lives are are muddled in in darkness and they can't see. Uh, I know that I've been given a gift to be able to know Jesus and to be led by his word. I know that Philippians 1 says, Paul says, and this I pray that your love would abound more and more with all knowledge and discernment. I know they're lacking knowledge and discernment and that their lives are troubled and, and, and that they don't know what real love is. And so it makes all these attacks not that big a deal. That is why it is so important that we listen to others so that our hearts can be filled with compassion. Uh, Uh, Listening to others who have hurt us, I want you to know, if you lack compassion for people who have hurt you, it is probably because uh, we are only seeing our side of things. And if you only see our side of things, you will not have compassion or understanding on those who hurt you, and you will be more hurt. But when we see our offenders through different eyes, we are then moved to compassion for them. Look at what Jesus did on the cross. They were crucifying him. They were mocking him as he was dying. He was in intense pain like no one has ever seen. The back of his his back, the skin on his back, completely ripped off. He has nothing but muscle exposed. All his bones could be numbered. And Jesus would say, as he's bleeding to death on the cross, Father, forgive them. I'm moved with compassion for them. Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. Uh, this is what com- uh, seeing and hearing others will do. It'll fill your heart with compassion. Let's wrap up. Let's see how, uh, how G- uh, Joseph uh, blesses his undeserving brothers here. I think we left off in verse 24, didn't we? Uh, and he turned himself away from them and wept. Then he returned to them again, and he talked with them. And he took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. Simeon's the one who got chose to go to, go to jail where they go get their brother Benjamin. And Joseph gave a command to fill their, so- their sacks with grain. How much, do, how much grain do you think Joseph put in those sacks? Fill them to the brim and overflowing, just fill all their sacks, bless their socks off. And he gave a command to restore every man's money to a sack and to give them provisions for their journey. I give them some beef jerky and some fruit snacks and some other things to take. Just bless their socks off. Thus Joseph did for them. So they loaded their donkeys with grain and all the goods and they departed from there without Simeon to go get Benjamin. Uh, uh, we'll pick up here next week. But I want you to see something here. I want you to see what Joseph does. I want us to learn from this. These were Joseph's betrayers. These were the ones that took advantage and beat Joseph. These are the ones who sold him as a slave. And what does Joseph do? He blesses them. I want you to know this is the man God is building. This is the work God wants to do in all of the men and women's life that he is building. building. And I want you to know something. A follower of God pursues reconciliation. Why are they even going back to get Benjamin? Because God, Joseph wants the whole family there. He's pursuing reconciliation with those who have wronged him. Joseph could have easily written them off. And said, oh, these guys, I just hate these guys, what they did to me. He could have allowed his anger to rage and say, hey, get out of here. Uh, You're not getting any grain whatsoever. No soup for you. (laughs) Right? Easily. And he could have justified himself as he did it. After they left, he could have told all his cabinet, hey, these are the guys who did this to me. How dare they come here, right? And I want you to know, a lot of us do that. We may say we want reconciliation but if we're not pursuing reconciliation we don't want reconciliation. It is Joseph who is initiating the reconciliation. It is he who is trying to bring all his brothers back to him. Uh, A follower of Jesus pursues reconciliation with others. Do you know why? Because that's exactly what Jesus did. Broken relationships are no stranger to God. They've been happening since the Garden of Eden, as we sin against him. But may I remind you the heart of Jesus? Uh, Let's look at what Romans says about this. Romans 5. Let me hear you read this. God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet still sinners, Christ died for us. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, how much more... Having been reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Wow. When you were an enemy against God, when you took all the gifts God gave you and said, I'm going to do it my way, and you slept with whoever you wanted, and you used your money for aberrant things, and you watched aberrant things, and you did aberrant things, and you said aberrant things, and you took all the gifts God gave you, and you used them against God as the enemy of God, God said, I still loved you, and I was still working on reconciling with you. And if I loved you that much when you were an enemy, can you imagine how I'll work in your life now that you're a son, now that you're a daughter? All the privilege that we have in Jesus. But here's why I tell tell you all this. I want you to know, uh, God loves reconciliation. And if Jesus pursues reconciliation with those who wrong him, so will those who are followers of Jesus. It's not enough to say, I value reconciliation. I wish we can reconcile. We have to what? Pursue reconciliation. Joseph does, because he's being built by God. Now, be careful. When we pursue reconciliation... Before we've forgiven our offender, we are destined to fail. Before we can pursue reconciliation, we must first forgive our offender. Joseph did. I want you to know this. Forgiveness is not what follows reconciliation. Forgiveness is what precedes reconciliation. And a lot of times we get that backwards. We want to try to reconcile, and then I'll think about forgiving you. (laughs) Bogus idea. It'll never work. You have to forgive before you ever start reconciliation, or you will fail. So here's the question. Can you forgive someone who hasn't asked for forgiveness? Can you forgive someone who hasn't acknowledged what they've done against you? And the answer is not only yes, But you must. You must. This is God's way. It is dangerous to walk around holding a grudge. Oh, I remember what you did to me two years ago. I remember what you did two years ago? And you're still holding on to that? May I remind you, Jesus said, if you do not forgive those who trespass against you... Your heavenly Father will not forgive your trespasses. What's that? Is that salvation by works? If I don't forgive my person who wrongs me, God's not going to forgive me? I have to earn that? No, 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 no. If you've been forgiven by God, you will be one who forgives others. That's just the fruit of being born again. And so we need to be careful. Forgiveness always precedes reconciliation. And uh, we're going to see how Joseph works in this. Next week, we'll jump into this. Uh, This story continues. We're going to see Joseph employ a patient plan of reconciliation. And there is a lot to learn from it. Next week, uh, we'll learn some great truths about how to employ, how to develop, how to lay out a patient plan of reconciliation. Uh, You got a mom? You got a dad? You got a family member, you got a lover, you got someone, a neighbor who needs some reconciliation. Uh, Next week, we'll look at some great practical tips on how to employ a patient plan of reconciliation. Uh, An amazing story, is it not? The sovereignty of God revealed in Joseph's life uh, to the praise and glory of God. Shall we stand? church i'm so blessed to be your pastor i admire your walks with the lord go out in glory uh, shining to the glory in jesus of jesus in all that you do uh your lights are shining brightly god bless you you may freely share this message with others as long as you don't charge for it support for these broadcasts comes from your generous donations that allow us to give away our materials for free to participate with us please visit our website at themissionchurch.net god bless